Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. Well, what's What's up this week, Rick? Oh, no. No. What is up (laughs) this week, Tyler? Uh... Yeah, I've been busy just trying to stay ahead of uh, staying ahead of interns. I guess before I even get into that, this is my first time recording with the dog in the same room as me. So hopefully he doesn't disrupt everything. He's ferocious. Yes. Well, it's almost time for him to go out for a walk. So he's getting a little antsy. We'll see how this goes. Um, no, yeah, things are good. Uh, growth continues to be really good for reasons I can't explain. And it actually even better than before we... We sort of would normally, we would be having what is a good summer and summer is normally worse than spring and fall. I think this is common for SaaS companies that people go on vacation and don't buy SaaS. Part of me wonders if people can't go on vacation and that's what helps. But anyway, we're having what would be a good summer. Plus, uh, there was a kind of virtual conference that I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that brought in a hundred free trial users. And then we've also got an MLM account. It's not one account. It's like a bunch of individual ones, but they're like referring it around the network right now. And uh, I don't, I don't know the number, but maybe we got another hundred from that. So we kind of would be in a good place anyway, but then we're, we had these two kind of one-time events that have boosted us up even higher. But they're repeatable one-time events. Ish. Yes. They're not like infinitely repeatable, but yeah. When you talk about growth being great, how how much greater is it than it, what you expected in terms of like percentage? In terms of percentage, um, let me pull up the numbers here. So we kind of have this model of like what there's three benchmarks. What where how many free trial users would we have on any given day of the year if we expect to average 200 new users a month, 225 or 300? And we kind of call 225 normal, 300 is really good. So what the the 300 benchmark right now would have us at about 1124 not about exactly 1124 and we're at 1191. So we're like it's not way above but that's above the best benchmark. We've never hit this benchmark before. So like there's kind of a bad medium good we're above the good right now which we've never done before. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I just can't explain it. I mean, I can explain a little bit of it, but, you know, I still just feel like it should be bad. Do you think this is going to continue or are you holding your breath? Um, I mean, it's definitely going to come down because, you know, we have a 30 day free trial. So these these two events that happened will be past us in a month and probably they won't matter. But I don't see any reason to think it won't still be like above average at that point. We also have the price increase going into effect next week. I don't know. Maybe that won't affect anything. Maybe that decreases the number of free trial signups. Maybe it decreases trial to paid conversions. I don't know. I can't wait to hear what that does because I think you're just going to increase your revenue by 50, your new your revenue from new signups by 50%. Yeah, I unfortunately I've talked myself into thinking that as well, which is bad because like it it's all downhill from here. Like it can't be can't be better than that really. <laughs> It'd be uh, weird to th- see if you actually get more higher conversions because people associate your product with more trust and premium because it's a higher price. You could uh, it could be one of those moments. Yeah, I've definitely heard people say that happens. At the same time, I think 
it's stupid to expect that. Like, I I believe that in the history of the world that has happened before, but that can't be the norm, I don't think, when you raise prices. <laughs> nope. But your business is not normal. <laughs> yeah, well, fingers crossed. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, my kind of state of the state of the Tyler right now. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm, uh, I'm realizing that I'm going to, I don't know, last, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how I was struggling to find the right cadence with sales um, or not sales, but like customer acquisition activities, marketing activities. And I pretty much came to the conclusion today that I'm going to spend two weeks just focused on sales um, and marketing and uh, getting the word out. And building relationships, uh, and so I'm. I've spent most of the day sort of pumping myself up for that and deciding what I want to get done in those two in that two week sprint. But uh, I'm feeling good about it. I, I, I'm not. Ma- I'm spending too much time oscillating between different th- areas of focus, and I just need to like do what I did with product um, on sales, and I haven't really done that yet. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense because it sounds like the product is good enough. Like it, it could get better, but it's not what's preventing you from getting customers right now. Yeah, and I've and I, you know, I had a, a huge, um, what I would call a epiphany or sort of breakthrough with messaging. Um, so I feel like I've got a pretty solid narrative around leg up health now, and I think I've got a value proposition that. You know, it's not succinct by any means, but it's something I can deliver in a co- in a in a conversation um, mm-hmm. format that I think is compelling enough to to really go test. And so, it's really now just trying to you know pound that message a couple of times and see what happens. I actually uh, posted a slide a deck that goes through the company, um, and I got a lot of great feedback from it. I uh, you know and, and have made multiple iterations on it, but I I was a little bit uncomfortable sort of sharing it but uh just basically what i did was if, if you haven't seen it it's it's i took i put 25 slides together that basically was it, it's i call it a company overview but it explains what who, what leg up it health is the 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 forces at play that make leg up health um important today um the problem it solves how it solves it um and some you know frequently asked questions um about you know about leg up health and I've shared that and made it accessible to the public. If you want it, you can. It's it's linked on my Twitter. If you want to check it out, I'd love feedback if you're listening and, and willing to. Should I? I can put this in the show notes if you want. Yeah, that'd be great. And I always forget to do that when I say I'm going to, but I'm I'm, I'm making a note of it. I'm actually going to this time. Put it on a postie. Um, yeah. So so yeah, I, it was. Um, I felt a little comfortable sharing it because it's it was really rough when I did share it, but it's getting it's gotten something to be something I'm proud of now that I've gone through a few iterations. Um, but. Uh, yeah, it's kind of weird. I, 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 I always want things to be very polished. Like I'm a big company, and I'm constantly having to remind myself that I'm, you know, a measly little startup, and it really like doesn't matter how good things look. What matters is that I'm getting it in front of people, and I'm getting feedback, and I'm learning. Yeah, I thought it was a fantastic slide deck. Like I have been talking to you every week since before you even started like up health. And so I would have thought I had a pretty good sense of what you were doing, but to hear it all like, or not here, but to see it all laid out in exactly the way you want it to be communicated, not, you know, we kind of ramble and go back and forth on the podcast, but to see it like all like prepared, uh, 
it makes it it's a very compelling pitch and i think it's a really so I, anyone listening i would encourage you to go look at it not necessarily because you care about rick's business but like i think you should copy this even if you don't send the slide deck to anyone just to understand what your business is about like i was kind of thinking could i do this for less annoying crm and like it would i don't know that i have that concise of a description of what less annoying crm is th- that you have now oh that's interesting thank you yeah you you do you do it in other ways i think everyone um, I got a lot of value out of slides when I was doing for people keep my former company when I was doing uh, arrays. Um, I was trying to raise Series A, Series B, and it was uh, it was very useful to try to distill the the narrative into a you know fifteen twenty minute presentation. Um, and so that's I basically forced myself to do it this time. If you yeah, feel free to repurpose sort of the framework. Um, one little test I use when I'm doing the slides is can someone. I call it the three second test. And I forget who, I think one of my mentors taught me this, but you look at the slide and you, you count to three and, and you just do that all the way through your deck. And what you, sh- there should be a consistent narrative just by really looking at the titles um, that uh, stands out. And then if you want to dive into each, into the specifics of that um, point in the story, the, the slide should do that, but the title should really tell the story. And, I find it to be, it was really useful for me to get this out there. And, and because I've shared it with everyone, I've, I've actually massively improved it, I think over the last mm-hmm. uh, three days. Yeah, that's cool. I, my favorite thing from reading it is I, one of my comments that I left was, this is the second time you reference this being free. If I'm the audience, I think, what's the catch? And then literally the title of your next slide is like, there is no catch or something like that. <laughs> So it's like you exactly the moment that I had this objection, you addressed it in that very, very next slide. And I can I have uh, James Agnew shout out to thank for that because he he went through that exact like free. What's the catch? And so I uh, um, it, that was an epiphany for me. Yeah, cool. So you said you're going to spend the next two weeks doing marketing stuff. What are you going to do? Uh, I don't know yet. I'm, I'm sort of figuring that out, but I know that I need to be much I need to start reaching out to people in a much more thoughtful way than I've been doing um, and just create some, I don't want to call it buzz, but I guess that's what it is. Some, some local buzz about what I'm doing um, and try to see what sort of uh, mediums lead to some conversation about leg up health uh, digitally. Um, I'm not going to be able to do a lot of in-person stuff. So I've got to figure out how to replicate that walking into a room and talking to a hundred people within 30 minutes Mm-hmm. And doing that like three question qualify, which I would really rely on for my way of going about things um, or, you know, from an early stage standpoint. And I have to rep- figure out how to replicate that digitally. And um, I think uh, I'm going to try Cora answering lots of Cora questions on health insurance. It's, um, if you go look at Cora, there's a huge dearth of what I would call sophisticated answers to really um, you know important questions about U.S. health insurance. Um, so I'll, I'm going to, I'll probably just, you know, spend a few days just answering questions there. That should lead to some pretty good content ideas, I think for blogging, which I'll start doing. I'm trying to remember how we started clarifyinghealth.com or mm-hmm. uh, I think we called it clarifying health and we, it was a slash blog. I can't remember if we had our own website or not, but we started it and we actually just started talking about healthcare in general. And it actually was pretty popular, um, pretty popular blog for the subject. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I'm not sure what I want to write about yet. So I got to figure out what the theme is. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to write about health, like just health insurance. I, I, I really liked, um, Why not? um, 
I don't know. I don't want to be constrained. I think I think I get. I want my. I want to have some room to explore interesting topics um, and learn. Challenge me on that. Well, I mean, I guess it depends on what you mean by interesting topics. But if you're like, I'm a business leader and I want to talk about businessy things. Like you've got an audience you're targeting, and it's self-employed or whatever people in Utah. You need to be writing to them, right? Yeah. So I I don't know whether to focus on the consu- like the working consumer, um, who's who feels like they're the little guy and sort of helping them. I don't know whether to sort of talk target the you know take like a buffer approach and just write about the leg up health journey and what I'm learning as an entrepreneur and sort of position that way. Um, from a blogging standpoint, there's going to be a lot of, I want to be clear, this is not content like that would be vertical specific, like real estate agent focused or anything like that. But just like as, as we think about what content we want to share and how we, the tone that we want to have and what, what, um, how we want to position uh, subscribing to a blog with us, it, it, I don't really want it to be about health insurance. I don't think. See, I've had the problem though. I've done a lot of blogging and other people at Less Annoying CRM have. And we've, we can do one of two things. We can either write stuff that people actually want to read, or we can write stuff that's close enough to being about CRM that it converts people, but not both. Which um, one's more effective and which one do you like doing? Well, I mean, maybe in our case, neither is effective and like this just isn't a viable like growth strategy. But I can tell you getting... Getting an audience that isn't your target audience doesn't work. Like we wrote, we had a few things get on the front page of Hacker News. I think one thing was number one or number two on Hacker News. We had some things get posted by Lifehacker back in the day when that was like a really big blog. We didn't really struggle to get visitors to our blog. We just couldn't convert any of them. And I would be worried about that for you. So for example, the the startup journey Buffer is selling to startups and maybe you are too a little bit, but like we're not. So I've done some of the startup journey stuff. People find it interesting. They read it and then they're like, okay, I'm going to go sign up for Salesforce because that's what I should be using. Yeah. interesting. Uh, I wouldn't think that's like, I don't think you're, pro- you're probably better off than me, but you're not like a perfect fit for that. I bet. Totally. And yeah. So what is that? I think what I have to figure out is what is that, um, that sweet spot of, for the audience, but also interesting and to, to write about. Um, we're the, worthy of a new blog, um, and maybe there isn't one, and maybe it's the blog is simply um, a passion project. Well, I think there's something I've come to terms with with blogging. Everybody wants an audience. They want people to like subscribe and read every post. You can have a viable blog where that's not the case. There are probably people Googling all kinds of stuff. Like, like you said on Quora, there are a lot of questions that people need the answer to that maybe aren't being answered well, and maybe they won't follow you. I, I actually think anything related to what you're doing is not going to be interesting enough for anyone to want to follow, but maybe that's okay if you just have a ton of content. And maybe it's not even a blog. Maybe it's a series of essays or just a help, like how to buy health insurance guide with 50 different pages and each one covers a different topic. However you want to structure it. I, if I were in your shoes, I'd probably start by saying my goal is not to build an audience. It's just to answer questions that people are Googling. Yeah. And I would say that that is different than a blog for me. That is more of a, uh, that's a, that's evergreen content. Um, definitely something I want to do. I guess when I say blog, I mean, what unique voice do we want to bring to the space of health insurance? Um, and I, 
and I don't know what that is yet. I don't know if it's um, we're radically transparent. Let us tell you, you know, I, you know we're we're data driven. You know, here's all the data and, and, and learnings that we're having. Um, is it or is it? It's definitely not going to be FAQs. I'm not going to start a blog and have people, you know, that's. I'm just going to do what you said, which is like mm-hmm. do a, a big long guide and have that be a useful evergreen content. But I, I do you know what I'm saying? I do, but let me challenge you in one other way here, which is I thought your goal right now was to get to 50 customers by hustle and kind of manual outreach. Starting a blog with an ongoing narrative where you're trying to build an audience is a whole different thing. Now, you can do both, but have you intentionally decided not to just focus on the 50 users? Yeah, um, good question. So one of the things I'm running out into with reaching out to people is trust. Um, so I guess, yeah, what's interesting here is I'm probably throwing out solutions to, to problems that I'm not being clear about. So one of the challenges I'm running into is uh, why should I trust you? Like, you know, I'm at, you're asking for my health insurance information, just be my agent. Why leg up health? And they come to the site and it's, it's you know, a one pager. There isn't a whole lot of credibility. I do view a transparent blog is a potential solution to the trust problem. Um, and I think that's why I'm, I'm, I'm focused on it. Um, but it's not the only way to solve that problem. Yeah. And I almost think the thing is you don't need to keep solving it. Like it's probably more than one page of content, but it's not a hundred that you need. So again, I almost wonder if this is more like an about section of your site than it is a blog. Mm -hmm. This is something I've, learned over time is with content, what you don't want to do is back yourself into a situation where you have to keep maintaining this thing, even though you've kind of already extracted the value out of it. So for example, on our end, not that anyone should take advice from me because we've never gotten content to really click, but we were doing like sign up for this newsletter and we've switched to sign up for this email course, this 30-day email course. The reason being the email course, we can just set it and forget it. We can keep some ads pointing to it, whatever, but we don't have to keep writing content for it. Whereas we would get the, we would put out a newsletter and get like 50 subscribers to it. And then we'd be like, are we really going to write an update every single week for 50 people? Like, no. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. I think I'm, I'm using the blog to refer to solving this problem. And in reality, I need to focus on the problem and different ways to solve it. And a recurring something that requires, requires recurring work right now is probably not the best solution to that problem. Yeah, especially with how much low-hanging fruit there is for you. Like, just make an about page for starters and yeah, then make build it, that out a little bit. Make an about page. Uh, so, you know, get Get all of my clients to do a testimonial, put it on there. Um, do you have any idea on review reviews um, for B2C companies? Like what are the best review sites? I don't know about sites. Um, my understanding is there's kind of two different categories of review sites. One is the site hosts the reviews and it, well, they all host the reviews, but like the site is offering the reviews as content to the customer and you're hoping that they like you. There's another category where like you pay the site as your review tool, but like they're doing it for you. And so I think Trustpilot is one of the ones like that, where no one goes to Trustpilot to be like, I want to browse CRMs. They go to G2 or Captera for that. Mm-hmm. But we could pay Trustpilot and be like, we want to send reviews to you and you will collect them and be the site that we can link off to. I could be wrong about that, but that's where I would start looking. 
Yeah, I need to look into review sites. That's another way to solve this problem. Like just like quickly spitballing it. If I move off the blog topic real quick, it's like I can get third party review sites. I can get on on page testimonials and reviews uh, on site, and then I can um, do an about page. I could probably get some local media coverage uh, pretty quickly um, to validate. Uh, I could also probably get some some of my clients. Um, I could probably spotlight some case studies, honestly, on my mm-hmm. clients. Those are all like really easy one-time things to do. Well, and I mean, our former mentor, Paul Zane Pilzer, was the king of this, of faking credibility. I mean, not that not that he's not a credible person, but of all, he has this huge past of other successes and using that to make his current project look credible. You've literally written a book about healthcare and health insurance. You've been the CEO of a established trusted company in the health benefits space. Um, you can leverage all of that, even if it's not your, like leg up health's stuff. Yep. Yeah, totally. And that goes to, that's the about page, right? Yeah, I think so. I just side note, I don't, there's so many startups that launch without an about page. I mean, it's fine if you don't launch with one because one thing at a time, but there's so many startups that never add an about page. And it's like, if you don't even care about this enough that you're willing to put your face on this. I'm not going to trust you. Like that's the first place I go. If if I'm like this looks like a new business, if you don't have an about page that that says who you are, where you're based, all that, I'm gone. This is kind of turning into an interesting topic to me. I don't know if we want to continue having it now or or push it to the end of the episode, but like in terms of just the as an early stage startup and you know creating tr- early signs of trust um online with your web page, like what what are some things to do that Maybe we haven't talked about like we talked about an about page. We talked about adding content of some sort um, that establishes credibility, pa- highlighting past experiences, customer reviews, third party and and um, you know your own testimonials, case studies. Uh, what what else is there? Something that I've found pretty effective. Maybe everyone wouldn't be willing to do this because it has to be true. But make promises to people, like make it real personal, and just own the fact that you're small. And be like, the reason you should trust me is because my name's Rick. Here's why I'm doing this. I promise, like, here's some things. I'm not going to sell to some company that's going to screw you over. I'm not like, now some of these maybe you can and can't make, but the, I think people want to, they're nervous to make it personal because it makes them look small. My opinion is everyone can tell you're small. Like, you're not going to so fool inter- anyone. It's so interesting. Like, the, the, nothing is bothering me about being small here. It's, I wonder, I don't really, I don't think I appreciate how important, how unique it is for a business owner and leader to make a promise like that mm-hmm. uh, personally. And I just don't even think about that being an, I like a thing that's, I, that's, that's exactly what I have to go do. There needs to be a, like the, a page that says my promise, to, you know, I don't know how, you, how I would describe this page, but it's basically a, you know, it's a trust page and a, you know, my promise to you page. Do you have one of these? Uh, if you go to lessknowingserum.com slash about, it's our about page. It has a few different sections, but the first section is called Our Promise to You from our CEO, Tyler King. And it's from me. It has my picture. At the bottom, it has my contact info. You know, you can call me, you can tweet at me. And it's, the last line is, go ahead, put us to the test. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. So it's just kind of saying every every other company out there is bullshitting you about this stuff. Here's what we're actually about. And you can test us on it and see if we're telling the truth or not. Mm-hmm. This is perfect, Tyler. Every time I wonder what I'm going to learn in this podcast and when 
I'm just going to appreciate it. It's just like, it hits me in the face. This is awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. This is exactly what I need. Yeah. And especially if you say, you know, you could say something since you're still so small, you could say, it's one thing to read my promise. It's another thing to hear it like said to you, like, call me up and let me say it to you and you can decide if you trust me. Most you may think, A, everyone's going to call you and the answer is they won't. The fact that you offer it is enough for most people and B, that they wouldn't trust you. But I don't know. I've had this conversation on the phone with so many people and they're like, all right, you seem like a good guy. Good enough for me. What's the number that you have on there? Uh, the phone number? Yeah. Is that your mobile? No, it's it used to ring my my mobile. Now, it, the reality is it, it just goes to voicemail, but uh, I will return the call. <laughs> I, I, I do get the voicemails and I return them, but I don't have it ring actively. You've entered the big leagues. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. The, rea- no, I, the problem is a bunch of people call it for customer service because it's the first phone number on that page. And so if they're like, I have a question, someone else calls them back. And if they're like, I want to talk to the CEO, I call them back. No, this is perfect. I, I, uh, I, I, this is great. Thank you. Is there any other, so the about page, the promises, anything else you can think of to increase trust? We already said it, but I just want to reiterate, uh, reviews. We were kind of, we didn't do reviews early on. And when we started, I thought it was, I don't know. I was kind of opposed to it. I was like, is it annoying to ask customers to review us and these other sites like investing in having your customers create testimonials on third-party sites that you don't control. I was like, is this really what I want, the favor I want to ask? I feel really good about us doing this G2. You're, you're B2C, so maybe G2 is not the one for you, but if you're B2B, that's been really big for us. Mm-hmm. No, that's helpful. Anything else? Um, I don't think so. I think cool. we pretty much covered it, but I, I'd love an update on this. Like, go, go give it a shot and see what happens. Yep. Yep. No, this is going to, this is going to make a big difference. And this is the, when I say, when I said blog earlier, this is the stuff I want to write about this stuff. I, this is the stuff I want to write about. I want to write about the promises. I want to write about the problems. I want to, I want to write about why this is important. Um, why it's important that, you know, our clients support us, why it's important that, um, people who buy their own health insurance, even though it may not make, it may not seem like a big deal to switch your agent, but over time this will add up. Like there's a, there's a movement here. Um, so yeah, thank you for giving me an avenue for that. Great. What what up? What any other updates for you? Um, this is going to be kind of vague because it's still early on. I've been for the last few months talking about our ongoing trying to figure out what our product strategy should be, um, and you know our product team's gotten a little bit bigger, and we have finished a lot of the kind of. I feel like for the last several years, we've been in this backlog of needing to catch up to where the product needs to be. And we're finally more or less caught up. So we're kind of thinking, we're thinking offensively instead of defensively for the first time. Um, So I've been talking with uh, my co-founder Bracken about this and we're, we're debating between is like, basically what's the right level of vision to have that guides our current actions. And what I mean is there's this really ambitious, I've talked about it here before, we call it 4.0 internally, this really ambitious idea that Bracken and I have been passionate about for years. We started it a long time ago and then abandoned it because we realized it was too big for us to tackle. It was just the two of us at the time. It's kind of come back up again recently where it's like, maybe now's the time to do it. But we're also getting a little gun shy and thinking, 
maybe we're still not at the stage to take on the really ambitious thing. Maybe if like the first 10 years was phase one and we needed to build up the resources to get a little more ambitious, maybe this is phase two and maybe the really ambitious thing's not till phase three. And instead of saying, let's set that as our vision and work towards it, we say, let's make an intermediate vision that we can achieve much faster and that we think will actually like grow the business and then use that to build the resources to finally go into phase three and tackle what we really want to. Is there a way you could distill your phase three thing into a, a very sort of like Eden, Eden-esque a couple sentences where it's like, hey, this is, the, this is ultimately what we're doing, but right now, this is where we're going. So it's always I, there that, but, yeah. but, but you're always going like, but, but to get there, this, the step that we're, we just did this. Now we're focused on this and then we'll do mm-hmm. this, you know? And I, I wonder if like, there's a, there's a narrative that ties that into every, what you're doing and everyone knows that that's the ultimate goal. Just like, you know, Tesla, I mean, not Tesla, um, SpaceX, you know, ultimately wants to colonize the space. Right. Um, but, but, but they're, but they're not you know, that's not what they're working on right now, but that, that powerful vision does have an impact on people's interest in SpaceX and it ties together. It does add meaning to the intermediate step. That's interesting. So if we can just try to workshop this real quick, I'll try not to go into too much detail here, but the big, big vision is we want to take, we want to combine workflow, uh, communication with workflow, which is to say, Normally, communication tools, how you get work assigned to you, are totally separate from project management and workflow type tools, like what you actually use when you're doing the work. And we want to combine the two together to say, you're talking to people in the same place as the project itself. Um, That's vague, but that's basically it. The thing is, in the midterm, we think there's more immediate gains to be had by making the CRM better rather than like adding this other thing on top of it. And the way we'd make the CRM better is significantly expanding the meetings and calendaring and significantly expanding non-contact related files and notes. Um, so the, the, the problem is the two intermediate things don't lead to the big picture aside from giving us the resources to build the big picture, but Maybe it, it do, to, that does matter. Yeah, that yeah, that yeah. does lead. Um, so, so um, first question is like, why it, why is that vision that you have to, for the future that that you're really passionate about important to the world? Um, I mean, it's it's important to me because I I this is how I want to work, and I think it would radically change that. And I mean, I I think that would I think as soon as people got it in their hands, they'd realize we've been doing it all wrong this whole time. And what what are we doing wrong? Uh, basically, email chat. Like all of the productivity software we use, so email and chat on the communication side, Trello, Tasklist, whatever, it's this weird hodgepodge of tools where there's there's no unified experience between them. And people are just jumping back and forth. They have 10 tabs open to run their business. I, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, everything we do, just like it saves people time. But I think this does it. Bracken and I both feel like this idea that we have is actually innovative. It's widely applicable. Like almost everyone could benefit from it. it. It's like a much better, more like more complete idea than the other things we have. It, it sounds like you want to build like a browser for the productivity suite. Yeah, 
Except we don't want to connect the existing tools. We want to, I, I guess the point is you shouldn't have to switch back between five different things to get your work done. You should, what we want to have is one page you have open all day and you never have to leave it because it's got all your work in that one place. Got it. Um, so maybe to your point, what we need to do is find something more fundamental about that. Like it's not, we're, it's not, we want to build a task list mixed with a chat client. It's, we want to solve this problem or whatever. And like those, these other two intermediate ideas are like somehow connected to that same problem. And we're going to say step, step one, put up some satellites, step two, colonize Mars. Yeah. And, and I think if your version of colonize Mars is something around, um, time, uh, is the most precious resource and, uh, human like productivity is limited. Um, and, and so it's something around that is the core um, vision and how you get there is less important if you get, if you get there, if you uh, yeah. crystallize that. Yeah, that makes, we'll have to ex- explore that a little more because it could be time. It could be like, don't let things slip through the cracks. I think a huge problem right now is so many people, I, you're not that way and I'm not this way, but so many people don't have a handle on their email. They get an email and they're just like, there's a 50, 50 shot. I read this thing. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I just can't believe people operate like that. And I think it can be solved. Yeah. It's so funny. It's um, people email me and I, I mean, I clear my inbox daily. If I don't, I don't sleep well if I don't clear my in- inbox mm-hmm. and you know, I, I'll respond and they'll be like, oh man, like oh, two months later though, you reach out and be like, oh man, I'm sorry. I missed that email. I'm like, you reached out to me. Like, <laughs> like why? Like via email. Yeah. And it's like, you, I don't get it at all. Yeah. Okay. So it could be time. It could be that. I'll, I think this is a, this gives me some good direction to say, identify a pain everyone feels and say, we have a way to solve it. And that's coming later, but here are some other things that all, because all of it does fundamentally have to do with productivity and organization and stuff like that. So they're all connected in that sense. I mean, what you're really doing is contributing to the, uh, what's the, what's the term for, is it transhumanism? Like what, what is it when, when, you like the, 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 what's the, what's the saying, the word to describe the movement towards, um, robot, robotizing, uh, humans or like the, becoming the Borg. Like, I don't know the word, but is it transhumanism? I get the concept you're saying. I, maybe I, I'm not familiar yeah. with that term. Um, anyway, yeah, I think that's what you are doing. You're, you're basically making us into like, uh, unlimited pr- producers and extending, yeah. and extending that's- life. That's a dream. I don't particularly like people, so let's turn us into machines. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, okay, cool. I'll, I'll keep. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about that with Bracken and uh, what's probably the pro- come back. Sorry that we got distracted. I want to know what the problem. Like, what's the day to day problem that you're trying to solve? Well, okay. So all of the developers are going to wrap up their projects. Like they're all working on big projects, and they're all going to get wrapped up probably in the next two months or so. And so it's time to start thinking, what's the next round of products, uh, project improvements? What we've done in the past is we've been very reactive. We've just been like, well, let's make a list of the things that customers ask about the most and let's do those things. And we could do that again. But like I said, I think we're in a position to play offense for the first time ever. So I don't want to just react to what's the most recent thing someone complained about to customer service. I want to say five years from now, we want to be here. What's the next six months look like? to, to put, point us in that direction. And so one option is to start building the 10-year vision, if we think of that as the, the more ambitious one now, 
But the other one is to say, no, we start the 10-year vision on year five. Right now, we start the five-year vision. Um, so that's kind of what we're debating. We have pretty clear product visions for the easy and the hard. The question is, do we start going towards the hard right away or do we start going towards the easy first? Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, did I tell you, by the way, that uh, I moved, I used to have, I always have a one-on-one with Bracken every week. It used to be Thursday night, which is when we record the podcast. And we found it helpful enough for like either I talk to him and then I talk to you or vice versa, but he listens to the podcast. So he hears our conversation and then we iterate on it. So we moved the one-on-one to Wednesday so that I can always talk to him and then bring our questions to you. That's great. (laughs) Yeah, it's working pretty well. So on uh, this coming Wednesday, I'll talk with him about this and he will have listened to this and I'll come, I'll get back to you. (laughs) Awesome. What else? Um, That's kind of all my updates, but yeah, let me, okay. So we have this thing called the coding fellowship. Uh, It's where every summer we bring some people who don't know how to code into less knowing CRM and we teach them how to code, basically. I mentioned very briefly in a previous episode that there was like a week this summer that was on no code, which you're kind of becoming an expert on, right? And uh, I was talking with Malia, who's the person who runs the coding fellowship for us. And she was like, they loved it. They loved the no code. Everyone got really excited. So we're dabbling with the possibility of starting next summer, like maybe even changing the name, maybe coding fellowship is the wrong name if we go with this, but basically say, this is about building software and coding is one way to do that. But what we're going to start with is use no code tools to create something. And then we'll teach you some coding concepts to layer JavaScript on top of that if you need it. I think that's brilliant. Uh, I, I think, um, I think that you have to do the front end stuff with the no code sort of simultaneously, or you don't really understand the power of some of the tools, but what no code will teach you the database stuff. It'll teach you the logic. It'll teach you the backend sort of, um, what do you call it? um, I don't know what the right word is. I think it's logic, but, um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, and they can build stuff. They'd be building stuff well, like early on in their fellowship, they the, the amount of the kinds of stuff that they could be able to build in the summer would increase dramatically. Yeah, and I, th- I think different people learn differently, but it's pretty rare for someone to learn best by learning theory and then applying it. I think most people, it's better to say, "I built this thing. I ran into a problem. Oh, the solution to that problem is coding. I guess I have to learn to code." But okay, versus being like, "We're going to teach you how a for loop works." Don't worry about why this is useful. We'll get there, right? Totally, totally. So what would you do just off the top of your head? I'll say Webflow, I know, is one technology I'd like people to learn. And that's all front end, right? There's no real back end. So I was thinking maybe start with Webflow. Just... A, there is a back end. Um, they, have a, they have a database. Okay, they have and, a CMS. Yeah, they, they have a... Well, it's more than just a CMS. It's a, they actually... You can create records. Um, so you can create like the concept of a user. You can create the concept of a... Um, of a household, you can create the con- you can create unlimited da- like data relationships, sort of like Salesforce. Using th- what's the feature for that called? Because I've used Webflow quite a bit and I've never run into that. I don't know what the feature is called, but it's there's this thing that looks like a database um, icon, and you click on it and you can create a, a a data representation, and then you can like make relationships between those data representations, add various types of fields to those data representations. The original application of, of this was to create a blog, but 
uh, or, or, you know, or a site page, but it, I, I mean, I, it can be used for in a number of different ways. Interesting. I thought you had to use like, uh, you said member stack or something like that. I thought there were other, ad- I know there are other add-ons, but you're saying even without the add-ons, you can do some of that modeling, the data modeling with Webflow. You, uh, data modeling. I'm not sure, but like, or, you- or like defining types of records and, and yes. having forms that populate into. Yes. The you could build a blog, for example, with a comment system using just Webflow. Mm, okay. So maybe, honestly, maybe that's enough. Like maybe we would do some intros. To- that's your favorite. Isn't that your favorite? Uh, learn how to code project is build a blog. Yes, that's that's all. That's what the fellowship is: is st- build a blog for the first half of the summer, and then do whatever you want after that because you've learned all the skills you need to 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 build whatever. Okay, that's helpful. So I was thinking we would need to like build this whole stack of no code tools. You're saying just do Webflow, probably start very front end, and then maybe yeah have them build yeah. a blog and then ex- expand on it. Yeah, you'll have to figure out forms within Webflow. Sometimes I, I can't remember if forms update the database directly or if you had to run, run the form to a um through zapier and zap mm-hmm. it into webflow but yeah it's basic stuff you'd create a stack but to answer your question like one th- it seems like there should be a curriculum like this i my understanding is i'm a member at uh, makerpad are you familiar with makerpad yeah i'm not a member but i yeah yes. so i i signed up with them early on um when it was like, it was pretty early, but they, uh, Ben, Ben Tossel, I believe is his name. Um, he has created a community that is really much dedicated to helping people learn how to no code, but it'd be interesting to like, I bet they have a, I remember he, he, he was mentioning at some point, a B2B offering where, uh, the biz, a business could buy basically accounts on behalf for employees to train them as a training solution. Um, that might be interesting to work out something with an existing community where you sponsor some access to MakerPad. The, it'd be interesting, you could do the same thing with like a code academy if you were coding. But um, I think that that's probably the best resource online as far as uh, getting you know material for a fellowship. Okay, cool. Yeah, Malia's going to be we're still figuring out like what's she going to do between the end of this summer and the start of next summer to get ready for next summer. But I, I was kind of already thinking maybe get her on MakerPad and learning all that stuff would make sense. Um, if I could, uh, I grab an hour of your time sometime with her to like get a little more specific. Would of that course. be a good podcast? Should we just record that and make that an episode or is that too specific? Talking about no code or talking about, yeah. Make, yeah well, I talk, think, talking about putting together a curriculum for learning no code, basically. No, I'd be very interested in that. In fact, that's, I, I'm realizing with my internship, I, I brought on one of the interns that we have is working on a, you know, build a web tool. And I wish like, he's going to do fine. He's going to have a great internship, but I think I, it would be interesting if I had positioned it as a no-code internship versus a coding internship. Um, how I think he'd be building stuff right now, and I think he'd be enjoying it more. Um, I think he's going to get what he needs out of the internship, but I do wish, like, I do want to try at some point offering a, a no-code build a web tool internship and see what happens because I think it could actually be really, really interesting. Yeah, more and more, I'm of the opinion that. I don't think the value in knowing how to code is going anywhere, but I think there will be a whole new type of career of basically being a prototyper, being like, this isn't a product necessarily, or maybe it is, but it's the early stages of a product. But if you think about companies, like like I worked at General Mills as an intern, they have 600 IT people. And by IT, I mean mostly software engineers. 
General Mills doesn't sell software, right? All 600 of them are building internal tools. I bet 80% of them could be built with no code. Totally. Yeah. It's basically automators. And I I think uh, we already have these people in the form of like Salesforce admins. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think a lot of people call them like marketing ops or sales ops. Um, but yeah, they, they, they're barely scratching the surface of what their capabilities are. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, maybe I'll, I'm not sure if it'll be now or next year or whatever, but I'll try to set that up and we can just record it and see if it makes for a, a decent podcast episode. Um, one quick, sh- uh, call to, to action for people out there. If anybody wants to hire the types of people that might go through the fellowship, like they don't have a technical background prior to the summer, but we're giving them a baseline, really diverse group of people. We interview them and make sure they're really talented. So that removes one, like de-risks them somewhat. If anyone's interested in that, reach out to me either for this summer or for next summer, and I'll uh, put you in touch. What what what, do you, what exactly um, are you saying that you have extra people or? Um, just that like th- we have way more people go through the fellowship than we can hire. Oh, um, okay. And th- the intention isn't even necessarily for us to hire them, but a lot of them, they're generally younger, so they're not ready for full-time, but it would be a really great person, especially if you're trying to build a diverse team to say, this is an internship. So it's like fellowship one summer, internship the next summer, and then uh, going full-time after that, Got if it. it works. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, back to you. What's what's next on your list? Well, I just want to give a, related to no code, I want to give a quick shout out to MemberStack, which is the tool I use for user authentication. We talked a little bit about them last week where they have a pretty cool front-end API that you can use to hide and show data based on who's on a Webflow site. Um, or I think, and I think it works with most um, web tool builders like Squarespace and and uh, and what's the other one? what's the old one that everyone loves that's terrible WordPress WordPress yes uh, um, but but uh, anyway they they reached out to me and I'm not sure exactly how they reached out to me but um, I, I got to talk to one of the founders for 45 minutes yesterday on a video recorded video call um, and it looks like they're going to showcase Leg Up Health on their website as a you know, sort of example of what you can do with no code. And I really appreciated the, the opportunity to, you know, share leg up health uh, via the, with the member stack community. And then also the time that I got to spend with Duncan, who is one of the founders to talk about where, where they're going next. And it's really cool. So uh, it just makes such a, it makes me want to talk about them and it makes me want to help them uh, that much more than I already did. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great marketing tactic on their part. Well, congrats on, being noteworthy enough for them to want to want to call it out. I mean, I was describing what you're doing to someone the other day because they, they were like, what is no code? And I was like, well, let me tell you what Rick's doing. And they were like, holy shit, you can do that without <laughs> writing any code. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Neat. Um, so is that like a public video people could watch? I don't know exactly what they're going to do with it. It happened yesterday. So I think they're going to produce something and send it to me for approval. Um, so at some point, there'll be something at memberstack.com that highlights like a health. Um, what else? Let's see. Eh. You tell me um, what you want to talk about. Well, we started uh, at the end of last week talking about that I'm considering putting a little money into a, an investment fund. Um, I'm not sure how much more there is to talk about than what we covered, but um, maybe like we talked a little bit after. Did we you? Stopped are recording. you going to become a LP? 
I so I filled out the form, which is like a soft commit, which mm-hmm. unless they lose the form or say they don't want my money, then yes, I I haven't like given them money yet, but I have in a non legally binding way committed to it. And it is Ernest Capital's second Ernest, fund. Ernest Capital's second fund, yes. Yeah. So if people haven't heard about it, I think my impression is there's kind of three main investment groups um, that are trying to fund people who otherwise would be bootstrappers. If you know anything about me, you know I'm super anti-venture capital. I do not want to support that model at all. So this is kind of like an alternative to venture capital. So one is Earnest Capital, one is Tiny Seed, one is Indie VC. There are, I'm sure, others out there, but those are the three I'm, I'm most aware of. Um, so yeah, I've just been following Earnest Capital in particular and the guy who runs it. It's basically just because his name's Tyler and I you know, got to support people with my name. Uh, no, I don't know. I, he wrote an investment memo that I think is, re- it's like 10,000 words. It's really, really long and thorough. And prior to that, I was, I was of the opinion, these, this model won't work because the only reason venture capital works is you invest in a bunch of companies. Most of them fail, but when one succeeds, it succeeds so big that it makes up for all the failures. If you invest in bootstrap type companies, you have the same risk, but you don't have the upside with the winners. That's what I kind of thought. And this, the memo he wrote really addresses, well, they're not all going to fail like in the same way because it's fundamentally safer to start a bootstrap type SaaS company. And anyway, he, he explains it much more. Uh, and, much and, they have, they, and they have some rules where they don't, they, they don't invest pre-revenue. I mean, their sweet spot, it sounds like is multiple thousand uh, dollars in revenue mm-hmm. uh, per month um, before they, they put any money in. Yeah, so the any company they've invested in has de-risked it enough by saying, look, like we have a way to get customers, we have a product, people like it. So the question is, is this going to be a 1 million ARR business or a 10 million ARR business? But if you invest when they're at 100,000 ARR, yeah, it's certainly not as risky as investing in like a traditional Silicon Valley style unicorn type startup. That's awesome. I I think it's great that you're supporting that. And uh, I think one thing that we talked about offline that I think is interesting with stuff like this is there, you know, when you, when you, a lot of times when you fund something, um, whether it's a nonprofit or a company or a, um, a, a fund, uh, like an investment fund, you, you kind of get access to this club. Um, when, when High West Whiskey was founded in uh, Park City, a lot of people, a lot of angels uh, invested because they wanted to be part of the whiskey club, right? And and so anyway, I think that um, it's cool that that Startup to Last has a representative um, in the Earnest Capital Club because I, I too follow um, Tyler Tringas. Is that how you pronounce his last name? I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, and and he, I mean, he's if you if you if you follow our podcast, you probably have heard of him because he's. 5,000 times louder and uh, uh, more thoughtful about messaging um, in this area than us. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I we'll, we'll see what happens. I don't know. but Can you share anything about your commitments and how you're going about it? Or do you want to keep that private? Um, I, I don't want to keep it private for my own benefit, but I know he has, there's things where like, you have to be on his list to get certain information. So I'm trying to think about what's public and what's not, but I'm pretty sure this is public. That So one of the, th- the other things that got me to invest is the way normally, if you're going to be an LP, a limited partner, which just means you give money to someone else to invest for you, 
the way that works is you just give them a big pile of money and then 10 years later they give back whatever they made more. I mean, that's simplifying it, but I think that's the basic model. Um, Earnest Capital switched just now to a model where it's a subscription So on behalf of the LPs. So rather than putting in a big pile of money, it's like a quarterly, I'm going to put in this amount. Um, So I'm on the very low end of the spectrum. I mean, it's not like I have a ton of money doing almost all of my net worth is in less annoying CRM, not, not liquid cash, but I'm on the low end of the spectrum, but it seemed a lot more approachable to me to say, oh yeah, every quarter, like I'll put some money in my IRA. I'll put some money in my normal taxable brokerage account. I'll put some money in in this kind of quarterly subscription with earnest capital. That's cool. And do, how often do they pay out? Yeah, I should know the answer to that. I don't know. <laughs> That'd be well. Keep us up to, with what you can share as you have learnings there. It'd be interesting to hear about them because um, I think you have a unique inside view that you could potentially share um, without violating any rules, of course, but yeah, yeah. Um, you know, with, with our audience. And in particular, like one of the things I'm trying to keep an eye on here, like the amount of money I'm putting in is not, it's enough that I don't want to lose it all, but if it doesn't get like maximum returns, that's fine. Like whatever. Um, I want to see, do, do I learn from this? Like you're talking about the club. I've never been in any club before. Um, so there's what do I learn, but also just is, am I getting anything back in addition to the like investment returns? Am I getting enough back to be like, even if this isn't profitable, maybe it's still worth it for me. Yeah, totally. Look at it as more of a membership fee than a uh, than an investment. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we got uh, maybe five, ten minutes left. Anything else on your list you want to talk about? Yeah, I'll pull this um, unique insights uh, piece. So one of the interns, I have a weekly call with each of the interns for an hour, and it's their meeting. They can spend it on what they're working on, get you know, talk about life, um, or talk about uh, ask questions about starting businesses if they want to. One of the interns asked this week. You know, how do you know what when a good when you have a good market um, to go after based on how much competition there is or how little competition there is and whether or not it's a you know you're what you're doing is unique and different than what's already there. In other words, how do you assess the crowdedness of a market? Mm-hmm. And I said uh, I don't know, but I started talking to him a little bit and brainstorming, and I I realized that everyone I know who's built a successful business from scratch had a unique insight. Um, and for example, like I thought about Ben, Ben at uh, Lucid, like he had a unique insight from watching the turmoil that Vizio caused inside of same benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, there were literally like fights over, um, you know, over, you know, saving, you know, the right file and, you know, not editing over someone's work and, you know, even like who could use the license two licenses that we had. And then I thought about you and I was like, oh yeah, you had a unique insight with less annoying CRM because of the insurance agent experience with with uh, Zane Benefits, because we actually accidentally built a CRM that they liked more than our actual product, um, and so you went and you know you had that when you started Less Knowing CRM. Uh, you also experienced the transition from Salesforce from a homegrown CRM that we had built for Zane Benefits, and uh, you know switching to Salesforce and how much of a pain in the butt that was. So mm-hmm. you you had unique insight, and then if I look at Leg Up Health and the situation that I'm in. Um, I have a unique insight for my time at PeopleKeep and Zane Benefits. So I think that's really important. Um, you know, what do you think about that? Just how important a unique insight is before you can feel really good about, um, you know, entering a market. I totally agree with what you said. And I think the three examples you just gave, I, I, I get this question from time to time and I reference 
the same things. I think I could imagine the word insight seeming a little daunting to somebody because you might think that that means like this, you know, you kind of have to have a stroke of inspiration or something. So I think we're saying the same thing, but the way I would normally describe this to someone is if you, if you don't have an idea for a startup, go work somewhere and just pay attention to all the things that suck because you can't make up something that sucks. Like you can sit in your room all day and be dreaming about stuff and you're never going to come up with it. But then you go, you spend one day working at a company and you're like, what are all the people frustrated by? That's a problem to solve. Yeah. So if you call whatever this is, it's like, how do you identify, how do you get a unique take on a problem? Um, well, it, it, you pay, it comes from observer, observation and ex- experience, right? And yeah, yeah. so I guess the way to create those, if you want to start a company is to go experience things and look for and, and be on the lookout for problems and ask a lot of questions around about them. I mean, mm-hmm. or ask, you know, just be curious about where people are experiencing problems in their lives and you'll, you'll stumble across something. Is that as simple as that? I, I think so. And luckily we didn't need to do this at Lesson Wing CRM, but before deciding on the CRM as our product, what we were going to do is just go like get freelancing and consulting types of gigs. And you know, if someone's willing to pay you to do something for them, that means it's worth paying for. And not every one of those projects, but some of them, someone else also has the same problem. And so the plan originally was just do enough freelancing assignments that we can see a pattern of like the world, you know, enough people in the world need this thing done. Can we turn it into a product now? Yeah, basically like get, you know, put, you know, make money solving other people's problems in the form of service, uh, services business mm-hmm. and learn from those problems and, and some of, you know, identify the repeatable ones. And maybe those are, you know, something you can build into a product themselves or they lead to some understanding, uh, unique understanding of a situation that, that gives you a, a totally different, uh, route to take. Yeah. I, I think that's good. Um, I, I, uh, but it was really interesting. Like I can't think of a business where it was, there isn't a story around someone sort of naturally through the course of their other job or, or life going, Oh, this is interesting. And then diving into it and getting excited about the pro- solving the problem. Yeah. Even non-business things like Facebook was Mark Zuckerberg wanted to look at pictures of girls, right? And like that's not the most inspirational start to a business, but again, it was like he was he had a pain and built built a tool to solve that pain rather than just thinking, you, I bet people would want this thing. The way you describe that is a little creepy. Uh is that really like you oh, yeah. look at gr- Okay. <laughs> I mean, I th- I think he before Facebook started basically a website that was like Harvard hot or not. Oh god. The dude is I'm, completely untrustworthy. He should <laughs> quit Facebook. Anyone who's still using Facebook quit. I just I just uh, rejoined Facebook. A lot of a lot of my target audience is on Facebook. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> well, um I I don't have anything else that we need to cover today, do you? Nope, I think I'm good. All right. Hey everyone, thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. I'll see you next week, Tyler. See ya.